SCP-5027. Object Class, Euclid. Special Containment Procedures. SCP-5027 is contained within a high-security humanoid containment chamber at Site-65. The chamber is isolated from adjoining containment cells and utility lines on Site-65 to prevent the spread of SCP-5027's effects. Two Scrant Reality Anchors, SRA, are installed below the chamber. If one or more of the SRAs fail, repair or replacement of the devices is designated as Level 5 priority and Site-65 is to enter lockdown until containment measures have been reestablished. Personnel are not permitted to enter SCP-5027's containment chamber at any time. Direct physical contact with SCP-5027 is strictly forbidden. Requests by SCP-5027 are sent to Dr. Williams for processing. SCP-5027 is a male humanoid who claims to be a 27-year-old male individual named Seth Wimmer, residing in Bayard, Saskatchewan. Scans in the public database revealed that Seth Wimmer was officially declared deceased after a head-on collision with an intoxicated driver on 5-17-1997. SCP-5027 is in a permanent state of quantum superposition. Contrary to the current theories of quantum superposition, SCP-5027 does not settle into any of its states when observed. SCP-5027 claims to have no memory of how it obtained its anomalous properties. Research is ongoing to determine the cause of this. SCP-5027 appears in two positions simultaneously where its living state is standing upright while its lower limbs are phased into its deceased state, which lies on the floor. Observers report decomposed tissue on SCP-5027's body phasing into its healthy counterpart. After prolonged observations of SCP-5027, observers often experience confusion, aggravation, and mild headaches. When SCP-5027 makes direct contact with objects or living organisms, they will enter a permanent state of quantum superposition. SCP-5027's effect does not affect any inert elements, such as soil, rock, or wood. Affected inanimate objects are able to transmit SCP-5027's effect to other objects and life forms through direct physical contact. Affected life forms, however, are unable to transmit SCP-5027's effect further and will remain in a state of quantum superposition, expiring after an hour has elapsed. Activating an SRA near an affected inanimate object will nullify the anomalous effects as long as it remains within the object's surroundings. If the SRA is deactivated or removed from the area, SCP-5027's effects re-manifests in said object. For unknown reasons, all animate life forms affected by SCP-5027 remain in their state of quantum superposition in the vicinity of an SRA. On September 14, 1998, several news reports arose from a town of Birch River, Saskatchewan, with eyewitness statements testifying an abnormal sighting of multiple intact infrastructures phasing into collapsed debris below. Due to the media's poor understanding of such anomalies, Foundation intervention was able to be kept minimal. 
Foundation agents were dispatched from Regina, Saskatchewan, to implement necessary measures for information suppression and falsification, as well as the initiation of a covert operation to investigate the cause behind the event. During the missions, two agents initiated direct physical contact with affected infrastructures, resulting in their eventual expiration. At this time, SCP-5027 approached the unaffected agents and warned them of its effects. SCP-5027's body language exhibited signs of emotional distress and confusion, though it made no explicit acts of hostility toward the agents, suspecting reality disturbances as a possible cause for the event. Dr. Hart of Hume Research was contacted. The use of an SRA to reverse all anomalous activity in the town was suggested. As such, an MTF unit was dispatched from nearby Site-31 to the area with two portable SRAs while Foundation agents directed traffic away from the town and maintained visual contact with SCP-5027. After the installation of the SRAs to reverse the effects, all civilians in the town were anesthetized and all news reports were amended as part of a disinformation campaign. During the transfer of SCP-5027 to Site-31, one MTF member initiated direct physical contact with SCP-5027. On-site guards misinterpreted this as an act of hostility by SCP-5027 and threatened it before the MTF unit was able to intervene. SCP-5027 subsequently entered a manic state and refused to comply with instructions. Dr. Prash, a researcher in Site-31, has volunteered to be assigned to SCP-5027. SCP-3060 Object Class Keter Special Containment Procedures Individual instances of SCP-3060 are to be kept in high-security lockers within the storage wing of Site-64. All testing involved SCP-3060 requires the approval of both the Site Ethics Committee and Site Command. No more than four individuals may be infected by SCP-3060 for testing purposes at any given time. Individuals infected by SCP-3060 are to be kept in Type 1 standard humanoid containment chambers within the humanoid anomaly containment wing of Site-64. Cells have been equipped with alarm systems to prevent instances from entering REM sleep outside of designated sleeping hours, approximately 2200 to 0600 local time. During designated sleeping hours, all personnel are to evacuate from the radius of each infected individual's anomalous effect. Following termination of any individual infected by SCP-3060, containment personnel are to initiate a site-wide lockdown and begin the Hypnos Protocol to prevent the spread of infection. Instances of SCP-3060 are small medical devices that superficially resemble continuous positive airway pressure CPAP machines. The individual materials that compose SCP-3060 instances are non-anomalous and operate identically to a typical CPAP machine of its size and make. The Foundation currently has five instances of SCP-3060 in its custody. SCP-3060's anomalous effects become apparent when worn by a sleeping human. 
When an individual wearing an instance of SCP-3060 enters their second REM cycle, a humanoid incorporeal entity, hereafter referred to as SCP-3060-A, will appear within a 5 meter radius of the individual and stand over them until they wake up. At this point, SCP-3060-A will disappear, and the individual wearing SCP-3060 will become infected. From that point on, regardless as to whether the individual wears SCP-3060, the SCP-3060-A entity will appear when they enter their second room cycle each night and remain until awakening. While instances of SCP-3060-A appear as featureless silhouettes upon first manifestation, they quickly take on a unique shape based on each infected individual. As such, SCP-3060-A entities have no standard appearance. While a full list of observed SCP-3060-A instances can be found in Document 3060-B, notable observed instances include a figure roughly the size of a human infant composed entirely of fused teeth, a humanoid superficially resembling an elderly woman dressed in dark clothes lacking a mouth or eyes, the instance's arms are both severely injured with compound fractures visible. A partially disintegrating humanoid composed of ash, dressed in red lingerie. A naked humanoid covered in tire tracks and showing signs of severe crush injuries. A humanoid whose torso consists of a large mouth. And a clown. While an SCP-3060-A entity stands within the presence of an infected individual, any additional human subject that enters a 50-meter radius of the infected will enter a catatonic state. At this point, an additional instance of SCP-3060-A will appear within the proximity of the infected individual. The additional SCP-3060-A entity will then approach the catatonic subject, phasing through solid matter if the subject is in a separate room. Upon arriving at the subject, the new SCP-3060-A instance will phase its hand through the subject's skull and then vanish, causing the subject to immediately fall asleep. All subjects touched by the SCP-3060-A entity in this manner become new instances of SCP-3060 infected upon awakening. Testing has shown that awakening the infected, whether through physical or auditory stimuli, following the appearance of an SCP-3060-A entity will cause the latter to immediately vanish and catatonic subjects to regain movement. Additionally, SCP-3060-A entities will not approach non-catatonic subjects outside the range of the infected individual's anomalous properties. Non-human subjects are immune to all of SCP-3060's effects. All attempts to communicate with SCP-3060-A instances have thus far been met with failure. SCP-3060 infection has long-term effects on the health of the infected persons. After at least three days, infected individuals often begin to display fatigue, mood changes, impaired performance, and memory problems, even after obtaining a full night's sleep. Infected individuals often report frequent nightmares, though no central themes or correlations have been observed in the content of said dreams. Within a month, infected individuals will often develop visual and auditory hallucinations as well as delusions that their mind is no longer their own, but rather has been stolen by someone or something. Soon after, infected individuals descend into full psychosis as they become unable to distinguish the content of their dreams from reality. 
In extreme cases, after at least two months of infection, hair loss, canida sabida, partial or complete blindness, somatic complaints, cataplexy, and alien limb syndrome have been observed. Attempts by medical staff to alleviate these conditions in the long term have thus far been met with failure, though symptoms are delayed in individuals with previous diagnosis of insomnia. Sleep deprivation has likewise proven effective in delaying the onset of the symptoms of SCP-3060 infection. Research into a cure is currently ongoing. If no human subject enters the area of an SCP-3060 infected individual's effect during REM sleep for seven consecutive days, or the infected individual dies, an instance of SCP-3060-A will appear. The SCP-3060-A entity will then proceed to search for the nearest sleeping human. Upon locating this individual, SCP-3060-A will stand over them until they enter their next REM sleep cycle, at which point the SCP-3060-A entity will reach into their skull and vanish. At this point, the sleeping individual will become infected. Should the sleeping individual awaken during the process, or SCP-3060-A be unable to locate a suitable subject within three hours, it will vanish without spreading the SCP-3060 infection. Addendum 3060A Recovery Foundation agents first became aware of SCP-3060 on March 21, 2015, when the entire census of the Portland Sleep Medicine Clinic became infected following a volunteer sleep study using SCP-3060 to prevent hypnagogic sleep paralysis. All infected individuals thereafter were brought into Foundation custody, and all records related to the study seized by Foundation operatives. None of the records seized indicated an origin of the SCP-3060 instances, and all staff associated with the project died in their sleep shortly upon being brought into Foundation custody. Autopsies revealed large quantities of SCP-3966-A within the staff members' cerebral spinal fluid. An investigation into Dr. Cynthia Zhao, the primary investigator of the Portland Sleep Medicine Study associated with SCP-3060, uncovered her to be a frequent user of SCP-2876. Upon MTF Omicron Rho, the Dream Team, investigation into potential Onroe envelopment in the creation of SCP-3060, contacts within the Onri Collective have denied responsibility for SCP-3060 and have indicated that SCP-2876 app has encountered no less than four internal breaches of security, particularly in areas of user information since its launch. MTF Omicron Rose investigation is still ongoing. Addendum 3060B, Video Log Transcript of Test 3060-03. Forward. The following events took place on April 2nd, 2015, as part of the initial containment experiments for SCP-3060. An SCP-3060 infected individual was placed in a standard humanoid containment cell, with instructions to go to sleep after being fitted with sensors to monitor brainwave patterns and vital signs. D-1260, D-2860, D-2106, and D-2306 were placed nearby cells within the same holding block as the infected individual. All cells were equipped with CCTV cameras feeding to the same monitor bank. At approximately 2340, the infected individual entered her second REM cycle. 2345-21 D-1260 is playing solitaire at the table in his cell. 
D2860 is reading on her cot. D2106 is pacing within her cell. D2306 has fallen asleep sitting in his cell's chair. 234558 SCP-3060-A-1 appears to be standing over the infected individual and resembles a headless humanoid with arms and legs replaced by spinal columns. Shortly after, an additional four instances of SCP-3060-A appear. Each additional instance resembles a featureless humanoid silhouette. The instances remain standing over the infected for the next five minutes. All D-Class personnel appear to have become catatonic. Those D-Class awake have expressions of distress upon their face. 235100 SCP-3060-A2 turns and leaves the infected cell, phasing through the door and entering the hallway, where it then phases into D-2306's cell. SCP-3060-A2 stands over D-2306 for several seconds, then bends over and places its face near D-2306's ear before reaching into his skull. 235330 SCP-3060-A3 phases through the floor and vanishes for several moments before phasing up through the floor of D-2860's cell through her cot, then through her. SCP-3060-A3 remains motionless for several moments as it looks down at D-2860, who appears to be struggling against her catatonic state. SCP-3060-A3 then slowly reaches out and closes D-2860's eyes with its hand, and then reaches into her skull. 235545 SCP-3060-A-2 removes its hand from D-2306's skull and takes the shape of a male human with mathematical symbols in place of facial features. SCP-3060-A-2 vanishes. 235615 SCP-3060-A-4 climbs up the wall and phases through the ceiling and vanishes for several moments before phasing into D-2006's cell through the ventilation grate. The instant drops down and walks around D-2106 as she struggles against her catatonic state. D-2106 falls over. SCP-3060-A-4 wraps its arms around D-2106 and begins to caress her head. After several moments of this, SCP-3060-A-4 reaches into D-2106's skull. 235746 SCP-3060-A-3 removes its hand from D-2860's skull and takes the shape of a humanoid composed of a tightly wound thread. A variety of spiders are visible crawling in and out of the openings along SCP-3060-A-3's body. SCP-3060-A-3 vanishes. 235842 SCP-3060-A5 leaves the infected cell, phasing through the walls from cell to cell before finally arriving at D-1260's cell. SCP-3060-A5 stands across the table from D-1260, staring at him for several moments while caressing his hand. D-1260 struggles against his catatonic state. SCP-3060-A5 reaches into D-1260's skull. 000047 SCP-3060-A4 removes its hand from D-2100's skull and takes the shape of a featureless white humanoid dressed in a foundation lab coat. SCP-3060-A4 vanishes.
0230. SCP-3060-A5 removes its hand from D-1260's skull and takes the shape of a featureless black humanoid dressed in an amalgamation of paraphernalia from various authoritarian regimes. SCP-3060-A5 vanishes. 00538. SCP-3060-A1 remains standing over the infected until she awakens at approximately 4.50. Addendum 3060-C. Interview Log 3060-6. The following interview was conducted as part of a routine mental health monitoring for SCP-3060 infected individuals on 3-3-2016. Interviewed, Researcher Joanna Corbin. Interviewer, Researcher Roland Farrow. Forward. The interview took place approximately one and a half months following Researcher Corbin's infection by SCP-3060 during the 15-1-2016 containment breach for an instance of SCP-3060-A. Researcher Corbin had begun to report visual and auditory hallucinations one week earlier. Due to her knowledge on SCP-3060's effects and prior diagnosis of insomnia, Researcher Corbin has shown remarkable resistance to SCP-3060's hallucinogen effects. Begin Log Evening, Joanna. Evening, Roland. Sorry if I'm not exactly 100% today. To be frank, I'm exhausted, and it's hard to concentrate when the walls are bleeding. Don't sit there. Researcher Farrell pauses as he begins to sit in his chair. He then stands and straightens his lab coat. May I ask why? Trust me, Roland, I'll be much, much more composed if I don't have to watch you sit in that chair. The hallucinations have progressed to that severity already. They have. It's like my eyes are constantly getting these little pop-ups of nonsense, and then there's this fucking voice that keeps commenting on things. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Shut up. The auditory hallucinations are constant at this point, then. Just the one. I personally like to think it's the voice of the 3060A that's creeping on me, but I have no way to prove that, and it's not like it's going to tell the truth. Researcher Corbin rubs her eyes for several moments and sighs heavily. I'm so fucking tired right now, Roland. Sleeping is becoming a chore. A nightmare-filled chore that leaves me feeling more exhausted than when I went to bed. And when I wake up, it's like I'm taking the nightmares with me. Like the barrier between my consciousness and subconsciousness has become a sieve or something. These auditory hallucinations, what are they... Research Corbin covers her mouth with her hand and stifles a mixture of tears and laughter. She then points at Researcher Faroe. <laughs> Your face is just melted off, Roland. We should probably hurry this up. I don't know how much more I can take. Right, right. These auditory hallucinations, what kind of things did they say? Comment on thoughts I have, on things I see, sometimes ask me about myself. I have to say, when the other infected said that they felt like their mind wasn't their own, I didn't really know what they were saying, but I sure as hell do now. Do you believe that the voice is trying to control you? Command you? Uh, influence you in any way? Fuck if I know, Roland. 
If it is, it's doing a pretty shitty job at it. Honestly, I'd say it's just here for the headspace and to enjoy the ride, but again, what the hell do I know? Researcher Corbin then closes her eyes and places her head and her arms upon the table. Can we be done, please? I'm afraid we have just a few more things to get through before we're done. Bear with me. All right. Researcher Pharaoh quickly writes down several sentences on a piece of notebook paper. How are you describing this auditory hallucination? You make it sound like a separate intelligence. I'm writing down a few questions that I'm going to want you to ask it. Researcher Pharaoh slides the piece of paper to Researcher Corbin. Corbin eyes the document for several moments and turns her head toward the edge of the table. Corbin then sighs in frustration before rubbing her temples. The words marched like ants off the page rolling. I can't read this. I'll dictate them then. I got a hunch, but I'm going to need some confirmation before I can move forward in that direction. Researcher Faroe takes the piece of paper back and begins to read aloud. 1. What do you call yourself? 2. Are you a separate entity from Joanna Corvin? 3. Do you exist within her mind space, or are you based in some other... Researcher Corbin rapidly backs away from Researcher Pharaoh in fear, flipping over the table on the way. Jesus! Fire? Roland, fire? Researcher Corbin removes her jacket and tackles Pharaoh to the ground, and attempts to snuff out a fire on Pharaoh's person. Security personnel intervene and pull Corbin off Pharaoh, keeping her restrained as she struggles to free herself for a total of two minutes. Eventually, Corbin yields. Pharaoh then orders security personnel to release her. Corbin proceeds to lower herself onto the floor and crawl away. She then sits in the far corner of the room in tears. Christ, Joanna, what the hell was that? You got to the second question and... And then you burst into flames, Roland. I, I, I couldn't watch you die like that. I can't answer these questions. I can't fucking do this. Researcher Pharaoh approaches Researcher Corbin in an attempt to comfort her. Corbin immediately pulls herself into the fetal position. Get away from me! Researcher Pharaoh pauses for several moments and nods in agreement. Very well. I'll leave the list with you. See if you can ask them when you have a less visually clustered moment. Researcher Pharaoh leaves. Researcher Corbin attempts to read the list again. After what appeared to be multiple attempts, she screams out in frustration, crumples the paper, and throws it against the nearby wall. Researcher Corbin then places her head in her hands. End log. Addendum 3060-D. Update 2210-2016. On October 22, 2016, a Carevere pharmaceutical advertisement for SCP-3060 appeared in over a hundred publications in the United States, Canada, and Europe. By the time mass censorship protocols could be enacted and the source of the ad was traced to Carevere Logistics Warehouse in Seattle, Washington, approximately 3,000 instances of SCP-3060 had been shipped with MTF Alpha-4, Pony Express, operatives, able to stop 2,700 in transit. 
An additional 270 instances of SCP-3060 were later captured at their destinations. Currently, 30 instances of SCP-3060 remain uncontained. Warehouse staff were oblivious to the effect of the devices when interviewed, having all been hired within the last two weeks. Over half of these individuals were users of SCP-2876 prior to their hire date. All warehouse staff brought into Foundation custody died in their sleep shortly afterward. As before, large quantities of SCP-3966-A were found within the warehouse staff's CSF during autopsy. An investigation into both Carevere Pharmaceuticals and Carevere Logistics is ongoing. As of 2510-2016, an unknown number of SCP-3060 infected individuals are currently believed to be uncontained, with outbreaks occasionally occurring in several major metropolitan areas. Attempts to contain SCP-3060 infected individuals are ongoing. Due to SCP-3060 remaining largely undetectable within the general public until the end-stage symptoms manifest, several mobile task forces are on standby to investigate reports of multiple psychotic breaks and acts of violence occurring within a short time frame within the same geographic area. SCP-3060's object class has subsequently been updated to Keter. Pandemic levels of SCP-3060 infection are currently being considered a potential AK-class end-of-world scenario. SCP-5417 Object Class Keter Special Containment Procedures Further anomalous activity originating from SCP-5417 must be prevented at all costs. SCP-5417 is a villa-styled residential house located in Kailua, Hawaii, which is impregnable to physical force. On 9-13-2024, the entire human population was transported to SCP-5417. As the space within SCP-5417 was not sufficient to accommodate 8.6 billion individuals at once, this event resulted in the majority of humanity being killed instantly. The primary cause of death was massive crush damage from high pressure. The resultant pulverized mass of human remains evacuated through all available openings. Viscera was dispersed over a radius of 30 kilometers, with some entering low Earth orbit. Several doors and windows across SCP-5417 were open when its anomalous properties manifested. Due to this, a small number of humans were ejected from the structure alive. The survivors were primarily those who had initially appeared in close proximity to the exit, as there was no opportunity to navigate within SCP-5417. At present count, a total of 22 humans remain alive, of which only three are Foundation employees. This has necessarily caused a BK-class lifted-veil loss of secrecy scenario. Methods of bolstering the human population are currently being investigated. Addendum Okay, it's recording. Footsteps, squishing, sound of insects buzzing. Person gulps. God, even when the mask gets foul. I better not hurl, that'll just make it worse. Okay, okay. This is Cameron Park, officially D-307. I'm gonna... 
I'm out here to visit the house. See for myself. Everyone else stays away from it. They hate the smell. They hate how it looks. They hate what it reminds them of. But that's just... They're just hiding. That's what they do. 99% of humanity is gone. And they hide in their offices. And they write their little documents. And they fill them with this bullshit. Must be prepared at all costs. Like they could even... There's a small crunching sound. And then footsteps stop. It's just a tooth. Footsteps resume. They tried to find out who was who, you know, to bury them. But it never worked out. Too hard to tell them apart when they were... Yeah. Researcher Shen tried to use dental records, but the whole internet was going down by then. Even the foundation servers, and I heard those are supposed to last forever. The main guess going around is that a lot of the sites had their fail-safes activated, the kind you can't turn off. Some of the more important ones might have blown up, but... Who knows for sure. No one's wanted to leave since we saw that ash cloud on the mainland. Silence. Footsteps continue for 11 minutes. Buzzing of insects can be heard in the background. Everyone. Everyone's here. I mean, except for the lucky 22, but we're not much compared to 8 billion. I'm walking on top of every superstar baseball player, every doctor, every construction worker and prison guard. Whoever's in charge, was in charge of the Foundation, they're here too. And every other Class D mixed right in with them. Not... not so different anymore. <laughs> Sometimes I catch myself wondering if we're, you know, really the lucky ones here. I mean, some of those poor bastards were pulled out of the pile. They'd be better off dead for sure. And the rest of us? Maybe we should have stayed in there with them. It's crazy talk, I know, but... Sometimes I wonder. Silence. And footsteps continue for 18 minutes. The footsteps stop. And there's a slow, deep breathing, followed by the sound of wood gently being tapped. It's just... a house. A broken-down house. I mean, I knew it was. I saw it already back when it happened, but... I just thought maybe... There's silence for 27 seconds. You can hear the wind blowing. Then the sound of shifting fabric as a person sitting down. The muted buzzing of insects continues. They never figured out who lived here, you know. And they never figured out how it happened either. All that fancy tech they gathered up, and the only thing it told them was nothing. No reason. No point. Maybe it wasn't anything in the first place. Silence follows for 31 seconds. You can hear the wind blowing again. Maybe something just decided that day that we all had to come home. End transcript. Hey everyone. I hope you enjoyed this little uh, detract from what we normally do here. 
I don't know how many of you are familiar with the SCP Foundation or what even an SCP is. Um, in a nutshell, it's a fictional foundation that captures and documents strange anomalies, whether that be physical or metaphysical, paranormal, abnormal, whatever you want to call it. It's basically Creepypasta's version of Area 51, and there are thousands of these things. I highly, highly suggest go reading some of them your own. They are all incredibly well-written, incredibly interesting, and such a fun thing to just like go down the rabbit hole of. I've only included a few here, a few that I found interesting myself. I, I'm privy to the ones that have some type of interview or an audio recording or something like that, just because I love a, a story aspect of everything. That's not to discredit the ones that are simply kind of like a scientific journal, journaling of things. They're all really great. And I do plan on doing some more if you all enjoyed these. So let me know what you thought in the comment section below. If you are a fan of SCP, what are some ones that I should check out? I'm really interested. Uh, in the meantime, I hope you all have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. And as always, stay safe out there. Because you never know what might be out there.